Welcome to session two of our Getting Cheeky with God series, Menstruation and the Mikvah. I'm Alana, she they. I'm Madison, she her. I'm Jesse, she her. And I'm Kaylin, she they. Amazing. So, Mad, do you want to give us a definition for menstruation since that's what we're chatting about today? Yes, today we were talking about menstruation in the mikvah, so I wanted to open it up so we were all on the same page about what what menstruating is or having a period is, and menstruation is the part of the menstrual cycle when a person bleeds from their vagina. During menstruation, the lining of the uterus, also known as the endometrial tissue, which has grown after ovulation, breaks down and flows through the cervix and out of the vagina. Very straightforward definition for everyone, what menstruation is. I think that when I first heard about like what, why people menstruate, it was like you didn't, like you prepared for a baby and one didn't come. So I appreciate like straightforward definitions like this that like take away that weird reproductive part of it. (laughs) Reproductive obligation, I should say. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cause that's definitely like how I heard periods be described as well, which is really interesting. And then kind of a segue to that too, is just, we want to start off the conversation by saying periods are not a gendered experience. They're not something that only women experience by any means. They're a movement to reclaim periods and get rid of taboos around them. I think cis women oftentimes try and equate having your period with this like wonder of a feminine experience and that isolates a lot of people from the conversation. People of all genders menstruate, including non-binary people, agender people, and plenty of men. So we just want to get that said right off the bat. I don't think I had anything else to add. Menstruation doesn't change anything about your gender. It's just something that our bodies do. Yeah, and just thinking about how we were talking about this earlier, like, among ourselves, but, like, how we use, like, the ability to get pregnant or, like, menstruating to define who is and is not a woman, but, like, that's alienating even for cis women because there are plenty of cis women who cannot get pregnant and there are plenty of cis women who, you know, once they hit menopause, like, are no longer menstruating. And so, like, moving away from defining womanhood by like menstruation and pregnancy because it doesn't work for plenty of cis women not just because it doesn't work for like trans and non-binary folks as well exactly yeah Kaylin do you have some period facts for us yeah so as we discussed I guess earlier like the biggest myth I feel like or like fact I guess myth slash fact is like not only women get periods but they're genderless let me pull them up so so one big fact is you can get pregnant on your period which it it is less likely but it's not impossible and I feel like growing up that was also a really big thing was like like both you were like Mad and Alana were saying earlier 
how it's oh you just didn't get pregnant and that's why you're having your period I feel like that went hand in hand with your body's angry at you for not having a baby something I heard a fair amount growing up Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah just like people um, using periods as like contraceptive methods because like oh uh, you can't get pregnant when you're on your period which is as we're sharing not the case some other interesting i guess i don't know if they're interesting there's facts. period cycles can range anywhere from 21 to 35 days instead of just the 28 day cycle that everyone is kind of told um Mm -hmm. And that's like still considered your whole menstrual cycle and menstruation. And to me, the difference between like your period just being those like three to seven days versus your menstruation, which is like an ongoing cycle. Yeah, that's true. You're always kind of in a stage at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I love those memes where it's like the one day a week that you're not like at a point in your menstrual or the one the one day week the one week of the month that you're not actually actively in a menstrual cycle like ovulating or something like that Um, and that reframing is so I don't know I feel like it's helpful to think about the ways that like hormones well you think about it and it's like you have like people can have PMS symptoms up to two for two weeks before they start bleeding and then some people also have post menstrual Mm -hmm. symptoms and so, yeah, you're right. It's literally that meme. Like, this one, you're like, oh, so all this stuff is, like, going on the whole time. Yeah, and also just, like, I feel like just acknowledging that, like, us having an open conversation on a live stream about periods is, like, pushing back against this taboo of talking about menstruating. Like, just wanting to normalize that conversation because it is this thing that I feel like it's very, like, hush hush and you're taught to like not talk to people about your period and I feel like there's a lot of like shame I feel like as a young person there's like a lot of shame around like getting your period and you know like quietly like asking someone for a pad or a tampon if you don't have one or if you bleed through your pants it's like the biggest deal in the world and it's so shameful but it's like this is happening to like majority of the population for the most part at least once a month and like we're all engaging with it in different ways and just if we were more open about that maybe we would all have more knowledge on what is like everyone actually experiencing you know because we were talking about like experiencing period pain and how like Kaylin shared like they didn't even realize that periods like weren't supposed to be painful because like we were never like talking about it and so what is the reality for people who experience like extreme like pain around their period or for people who have PMDD which is like depression associated with their period which I feel like is something we like never talk about and things like PMDD and endometriitis is that how you say it endometriitis yes are like so hard to get diagnosed with as well and so it's just if we like actually spoke about these things there might be so much more clarity but I feel like the way that I've learned about them has always been through like communal sharing and like Mm -hmm. a friend being like oh yeah that happens to me too and this is what I have and like this is what I've used to try to counteract that yeah and and the over exaggeration and like non-specificity around periods too was always a thing it was like the worst thing that could happen enjoy your life before because once it happens your life's (laughs) over which is like not specific to like a 14 year old or whatever you know it's oh what what I'm sorry, explain what you mean, like, my life is over. What do you mean, it's like, what do you mean every month? You know, it's not, 
specific enough to like either reassure you or inform you at all. Like when you say mm -hmm. period pain is you feel like you're dying, what does that mean? You know, does it mean like a part of your body hurts that it's normal for it to hurt and this happens to other people? Because when you're a kid, you just think, oh my God, I'm the only one who feels this way. You know, like it's, I don't know. I think it's um very interesting how we kind of just like to blur it into this like realm of, oh, that's other things that you feel rather than, no, it's just like any other pain you would feel in your body. It, there's a reason for it and we should talk about it. But. Yeah, I speaking about like period pains i did learn in my oh like talking with my gyno and i was like oh wait periods aren't supposed to hurt you can only diagnose endometriosis surgically so they have to go in because it's specific tissue and like when i was mm -hmm. talking with her again i think it's like you have to find a good doctor and that's not accessible it's really hard to do but like she was talking about how there are ways to essentially be like yeah you probably have it but they can't like officially diagnose you unless you do it surgically which kind of sucks right what does that mean for people who don't have the insurance to get it surgically diagnosed or yeah. i don't know have like other like fear like very valid like reasons that they don't want to engage with surgery or with like medical doctors especially like when it is relating to like your genitals which can be like really triggering for a lot of people Agreed. That's like pretty invasive. And I don't think that we talk enough about how invasive something like a pap smear or just like in, in a look at like our internal genitalia can be for us. Yeah, literally just like annual visits to the gynecologist, especially for people who have trauma associated with their genitals can be like incredibly triggering and really scary. And I feel like most gynecological staff that I've interacted with and my friends have interacted with are not well trained or prepared to engage with that like I, I can name like multiple people that I'm close to who have had like really intense panic attacks at the gynecologist during like their annual exam because those triggers have come up and doctors have dealt with that just so incredibly poorly um, mm -hmm. and this is something that like so many people are experiencing so like why are we not better prepared to engage with it but it starts with talking about it more, so yay. And I think to that point too, well, we're, we'll be talking about like resources for finding more gender affirming care, but that's getting to the point too of what happens when we talk about periods in a really specific way and how it can literally stop certain people from accessing it, specifically trans people and gender non-conforming people when we always associate it with like womanhood or being a woman and stuff like that. Like people can't access like, healthcare and that's like very serious so I think it's just very much all connected as well yeah just like moving our language away from like feminine products or like talking about periods of, you know women something that women deal with or like that time of the month and just you know saying like menstrual products or period products or like people who get periods you know just like people-centered language instead of this weird like femininity associated with it and even if you don't want to use people-centered language, um, using, like, this is what a menstrual cup is for. Like, you could completely just take any, like, person out of it or the person who's using the product, which I think people-centered language is still fine, but I just think there's a lot of different ways if you want to change right. it. Well, I think, too, even down to, like, packaging. Like, I'm thinking of, like, you buy Kotex, which is all mm -hmm. these, like, bright... What we traditionally associate with, like, feminine colors, too. Mm -hmm because everything's down to marketing, but just like this idea that we have to make it so pretty and exciting and 
yeah it's so fun <laughs> yeah and like thinking about period products like the idea that like for people who are not using menstrual cups because there are a lot of reasons that people might not want to use a menstrual cup like buying pads and tampons every month is like expensive as fuck and like the fact that this is not like something that is subsidized by the government in any way even though this is something that's going to happen to a lot of different people every month 12 months out of the year and like a pack of tampons is ranges anywhere between like 10 teen dollars if you want to get some good organic ones and that's gonna last you maybe one cycle so like why am i paying money to have my period and all like free or like subsidized period products are only ever in women's rooms um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point you, like have all yeah. these that are like to make like period products accessible and we're still like very much sequestering it by what we're perceiving as who gets a period yeah we also wanted to talk about how like engaging with your period can be a positive thing there are a lot of people who get periods who like are able to reconnect with their bodies through periods and do like rituals related to getting their period or who will use period blood to do like certain like magic spells and like bodily or who just can feel in touch with their body by inducing periods with like teas or related to the moon cycle and so thinking about how like that can exist and if you want to try to engage with your period like that like we challenge you to do so but also like reflecting on the fact that not everyone wants to like make their period positive or have to reclaim their period and like it can also just suck Mm -hmm. so i think we want to talk about menstruation and judaism specifically because of course we're doing this fun little fucking the fine print making menches collab and so i can give a quick overview and jesse if you want to jump in let me know basically in judaism so like in the torah the like menstruation is like sort of considered impure and it's also like the language around it is of course very gendered very heteronormative and very cisgender but nida is like this idea of impurity and sin and so when a person gets their period it's part of the nada experience like you are impure and you are like sinful during the time that you have your period and so the root of that word actually comes from like departing fleeing wandering which is nadad but people have sort of come to understand it as separate and so like in the Torah, like, the idea is that when someone gets their period, they're saying that it is a woman, that they are supposed to be separated from the community, and that there are no, their sexual relations are not supposed to happen between a man and a woman during that time, and that a lot of men and women don't even really understand, like, nida and what happens around menstruation until they're married or they're like in a union with each other and so in order to sort of like address this impurity or sin that like people associated with periods that was where the mikvah came in and the mikvah like in the torah and in like 
biblical times, the mikvah was used as a place to cleanse yourself of that sin and impurity um, and re-enter the community now clean out of your, like, nidah period. And so that is my understanding of the Torah biblical side of things. Do you have anything to add in there, Jesse? Yeah, just quickly, the pre-temple, like pre-being in the land of Israel, you know, Torah time, there's no specification of like where women should go. It's just be elsewhere, be out. And it, what's funny is what brings me back to what you and Kayla, and I think we're talking about before, with there not being much time when you're not cycle like you're supposed to be out of the camp or whatever away from people for the time of your period but then also 10 days after so that you can be pure again so some people's periods may last like 20 days <laughs> you're gone for another 10 days and then it happens again the next month that's crazy and people are in the Torah time, you know, which like, how sure are we this is what actually happened, but they have to take their children with them because they're the women, they're in charge of the household. So every month they're packing up and moving their family basically out of these, out of the camp so that the person who doesn't menstruate in their house can feel like safe and secure. Anyway, made me think about today as we're talking about all of these kind of hoops that people who menstruate have to jump through to get the care and things that they need, but also then to economically survive there would have been no way to be employed as a person who menstruates back in that time because you have to be away from the community for your whole time basically so that was all I was gonna add imagine paying yeah. rent for a place that you're not even at for like I'm thinking about it today I'm like I'd be pissed you're telling me I have yeah. to leave the, like paying to live here and this other place yeah so just like thinking about the ways that obviously have changed over time but like how that framed a very like negative view of menstruation I did see something really interesting though because like obviously there are more religious sects of Judaism like orthodox folks who like do still practice some of these ideas around menstruation at least you know maybe not engaging in sex with their partner and visiting the mikvah maybe not like a full separation from the community but I thought it was interesting because I saw an article that's going to be included in our resource list that said like this it says quote a lot of this might feel like self-imposed celibacy many orthodox people view this time as an opportunity to connect with their partner in a more emotional and spiritual way mm -hmm. while they're forbidden from making physical contact and while you know in part that's sort of like you know these words forbidden from physical contact and like self-imposed celibacy i thought that framing like really goes back to what we were talking about in our last session around how like celibacy even like when you're in a partnership can be like really special and can be an opportunity mm -hmm. to connect on these different levels. It doesn't have to be framed as this, oh, oh, you're not having sex with your partner. So I thought that framing was actually really interesting. And I was like, that's kind of cool that like for this period of time throughout the month, you know, married couple, married Orthodox couples, like some who are choosing to engage with it this way, might be taking that time to connect on a, on a different level while they're not connecting physically. So I thought that that was really cool, actually. I also feel like to the point of obviously someone shouldn't tell you where to be like during your period or how you should feel and things like that or like how it's going to impact your life. But I do feel like when I got my period, there was an expectation based off the type of person that my mom is, but I'm guessing how like other people are too, like teaching young people about like how to interact with their periods, like nothing's going to change. Like you have to still get through the day and like, I don't think that you should complain because you're going to get it every month and all this other type of thing about how I 
had to just deal with the fact that like I was uncomfortable and go about Mm -hmm. my daily life like I wasn't having my period and something that's kind of a a big change physically to my biological everyday and stuff like that and yeah so I think that just like I can I, I can appreciate or I wish that I had more moments during that time of like rest and relaxation and things like that yeah because like your body is like literally forcing you to slow down but within capitalism like those tropes of well you just have to keep going like it's gonna happen every month so you just have to make it work is so common but like I'm thinking about especially for people who like their period pain is so debilitating that that is not a reality and like Mm -hmm. they like have to use sick days or take time off of work every month because like they literally functioning yeah what that is just like what does that mean and how can we reframe and normalize like that being the case for people and not penalizing people for having like literally having to rest Mm -hmm. but thinking about the mikvah um so obviously like historically mikvahs were used around like this impurity however and jesse and i have a whole session on the mikvah on our making mentions page so i'm not going to go too hard into mikvah stuff because I would just be repeating myself but there have been a lot of like reframings of the mikvah you know within the last few decades century whatever and thinking about how now the mikvah is not just used for menstruation and used to purify but like some people might use it for menstruation in like really positive ways like that helps them mark their cycle and it's a ritual or how the mikvah like is used by like trans folks and is used by folks who are going through really big life changes and there are a lot of like rituals that have been created to sort of honor different life changes or like different reasons people might be in the mikvah or the mikvah has been reformatted in ways that can really like accommodate you know different types of abilities and like different bodies different gender identities And so this reclamation of something that was like sort of like seen in a negative light to now be something really powerful and like a really beautiful ritual. And so two things that I wanted to highlight mainly around that were just like the idea that a mikvah, like the only, like the main requirement for a mikvah at the end of the day is that it is made of natural water. And so like if someone wants to go to a mikvah but isn't comfortably, isn't comfortable like being in a space of other people or being naked around a stranger and can't find an accessible mikvah like any natural body of water can be a mikvah and there are plenty of like rituals you can access online and just moving away from this idea of purification like in one of the articles about trans jews finding a place in the mikvah they wrote like for a trans jews choosing mikvah the act isn't about purification Instead, it's a method for healing or cleansing the queer trans body from the toxicity of hetero and cisnormativity. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really beautiful and like just a really mm-hmm. beautiful reframing. So in thinking about like how, you know, periods have historically been deemed taboo and impure, this is a good transition for us to talk about period sex. Yeah, so there's a lot of benefits to period sex. Some things are, I mean, again, also, all of these things are, like, if it's your choice. Like, I personally am someone that just isn't about period sex that much. And that's okay. Like, you do you. But it's, 
Yeah. So there we go. First is like a discussion you want to talk with your partner. But some things that can help it they help relieve cramps. Orgasming can help with your uterus because it's just a muscle contraction and that's a lot of the times what happens during your period. There's like a natural lubrication for penetrative vaginal sex. Some people have an increased sex drive. Some people use it as a new form of intimacy and to feel close with their partners. And oral sex is also possible, which is something that I didn't really think about, but that's also something that is possible during your period. And then some tips that I have come across are one remove a feminine product before or feminine i just read it off the thing I just, that happens all the time right. with my remove notes a and menstrual like, product i i copy and paste something that was kind of fucked up but continue sorry <laughs> no i was like wow that really just rolled right off the tongue but it's that ingrained <laughs> so removing any menstrual products like a cup or a tampon which like sounds obvious but also i feel like at least everyone I know has kind of had a scare sometimes. Ooh, maybe I haven't. Yeah. Another way is to use, lay a towel down, specifically a dark color towel or one you don't care about, or using sheets that you don't like. Again, using birth control, big tip. As well as like, you can still, you still want to protect against any potential STI transmissions. And then if you're like really worried, period sex in the shower is also good, but slippery. I know Mad has a couple other <laughs> ones too. I don't was was that your last one too? Because then I could. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I was so mine are from Bustle. So if some of them seem not real or not applicable, (laughs) include them in your life in the way that you want. But yeah, I did read that like period sex in the shower, totally you can do it, but it's more slippery because of the blood. Um, and another one was. Oh, considering which positions might make sense or what positions might have like more blood come out because of gravity. So being on top versus like laying down or something like that. What was another one? I also was reading. Oh, no, what were you going to say? I was going to say relating to positions. I've heard that missionaries often and to avoid like positions like doggy where it's like a a harder or deeper like penetration level. Um, True. That's true. And just like with pain and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I've never thought about that. But yeah, I do feel like my cervix is shorter or something during my period. So having penetrative sex, like I just, I definitely don't feel like I have as much, it doesn't elongate in the same. But the other one was just to your point about using protection. Blood is, can be like a a medium for bacteria just during that time. So it can, it makes it easier for bacteria to spread to cervix and vagina. I think I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, I just think that talking about all of this can really help to normalize what's going on and what feels good. And not only talking to your partner, but just, I don't know, I feel like something that just was helpful in my general, like, education about my body and about sex in general has been, like, being, having, like, friends that I feel comfortable talking about this with that, like, we're exploring it together. And it's like... Mm-hmm oh, like, that's what you do? Okay, that's interesting. Or that's, I guess it's not, like, weird. And just, like, removing the weird taboos from it. I also think that's something that I have to work on. Also, like, 
reflecting on the fact that it's okay people don't want to have period sex that's not a reflection of the kind of sex that they're engaging in because I definitely feel like and I'm admitting this right now like I definitely feel like I've shamed specifically people with penises who are like ew I don't want to have period sex that's gross and some of that is okay well why do you think that but it's okay for people to not want to be engaging with blood it's not like a substance that we engage with a lot it's like coming out of our bodies and like some people just simply might not want to be engaging with that and that is okay I think if we can we can talk about that's coming from a weird like masculinity place where it's like viewing periods as like unclean but if someone is just simply like uncomfortable with that like it is like that's not something to shame people around like not having period sex and having period sex are like both super cool and okay again as long as you're like engaging in it safely and in ways that feel good for both parties or all parties yeah and I'm glad oh go ahead you go you go go. I I was just thinking about our conversation last time about how religion isn't inherently puritanical and like how it like this idea but going back to even the mikvah the mikvah being like a liberation practice for some people and like the idea that religion can be interpreted in a lot of different ways is really interesting how it's kind of pervaded into the social norms of like purity and cleanliness because there are a lot of things that people do that are gross like actually unhealthy but we don't consider them like dirty the way we do with like periods and also to think of like how come this never came up in any sort of like sex education or health class like we would have been mortified to raise our hand and ask a health teacher okay but what about having sex in your period my god I can imagine being a teacher too the class would just go crazy and that's like Mm -hmm. so upsetting because we're acting like kids aren't doing it right and so instead we're saying we're kind of letting these harmful messages like ew your period is gross be the norm because we're not addressing it in the classroom or in any formal way like like we said the places we're hearing about it is from our friends which is cool Mm -hmm. if your friends are like informed doing their own research (laughs) but otherwise can be really harmful especially for teenagers you know so yeah I think that's a really good point I was like reflecting on on that I'm like I definitely the more productive versions of those conversations have mostly been with like people when I was over the age of 18 and also was like a gender and sexuality studies major talking to my other gender and sexuality studies major friends and so like the type of information that we had access to and like the framing that we had is sort of self-selecting and specific also reflecting on what you said jesse i'm just thinking about like how much more we could normalize things if we just stopped separating kids by binary genders in health classes when we're talking about things like i'm assuming that's still common practice but like when they like separated the boys and the girls to talk about like sex or pregnancy or menstruation when it's like both both groups of people should be learning about all of these topics because it impacts everyone regardless and again that also fully doesn't account for like children who are trans or non-binary but like even beyond that like if you are like a cis woman or a cis man like everyone needs that information because that just further contributes to these like stereotypes and like taboos around like periods being secretive or dirty or like pregnancy being something that like cis women have to deal with and it's like doing that makes your body like your shame like you're Mm -hmm. like something that you have to hide from like the other person or the other group and something like that too Mm -hmm. 
I feel like we hit our marks. I feel like we might have actually attained a reasonably timed session. Wow. Do we think any final <laughs> reflections? I don't think so. We will have some incredible resources posted sometime this weekend, a whole bunch of them about menstruation, mikva, period sex, like menstrual products, whole nine yards. So keep your eyes peeled for those. And our next session is talking about abortion and Judaism. Thanks, everyone. Bye.